Welcome to episode 35 of the Unnamed Adventures podcast. On today's episode, we're going to take a step back in time to the 1800s and talk about the Oregon Trail. And kudos to the National Park Service for providing the information. We hope you enjoy. Long before it was a wagon road, the Oregon Trail was part of an ancient network of Indian footpaths and animal trails that crisscrossed the West. In the early 1800s, British, French, and American fur trappers followed those who hunted for beaver, whose fur was demanded for stylish hats in Europe. In 1812, fur trader Robert Stewart and six companions following an Indian trace in today's Wyoming made an important discovery, a wide pass at 7,550 feet in elevation across the Continental Divide. South Pass made overland travel with the ox-drawn trailers possible and became the gateway to the west. Freight wagons began to beat a track along the Platte River and South Pass in the 1820s and 1830s. These fur brigades carried supplies from St. Louis to the fur trappers' annual rendezvous in Green River country of today's Wyoming and Utah. Returning caravans hauled pressed beaver pelts to Missouri. This fur trace, wheel tracks, along the flat and through the Rockies began the Oregon Trail. Christian missionaries, eager to convert Indians, took advantage of the fur traffic between the east and west, joining caravans for safe passage. As the 1830s ended, so did the supply of beaver. The last mule cart and missionary brigade headed up the trace toward the final rendezvous in April 1840, accompanied by Joel Walker, his family, and two wagons. For the rendezvous, the Walkers joined trappers and headed to Fort Hill, a trading post on the Snake River in today's Idaho. They sold their wagons and continued west with a fur company bound for Fort Vancouver. Joel and Mary Walker and their four children arrived in Oregon's Willamette Valley in mid-September, and Mary gave birth to a baby four months later. They proved that families could make the overland trip, opening the Oregon Trail for other pioneer families. Economic depression in 1837 and 1841 left desperate farmers and businessmen looking for new opportunities. Politicians urged people to go west, where a stronger American presence might help wrest the disputed Pacific Northwest from British control. Missionaries described the land's fertility and promoted its developmental potential. A growing spirit of national pride in the idea of manifest destiny that God intended the United States to stretch from coast to coast made it a citizen's patriotic duty to go west. The fur trade had crashed, leaving unemployed trappers looking for a new work as trail guides. In early 1841, the first immigrant wagon train set out from Independence, Missouri. The party of about 80 men, women, and children joined guide Thomas Fitzpatrick. He led them up the Little Blue River across northeastern Kansas, following the old fur trace along the Flat River. The wagons rumbled by Chimney Rock Spire and Scotts Bluff Prominence. On the Sweetwater River, they passed by Independence Rock and the cleft of called Devil's Gate, finally starting up a long, wide, gentle grade of the South Pass. The immigrants were on the Pacific side before they realized they had crossed the Continental Divide. 
The travelers separated at Soda Springs. The Corps, the Bidwell-Bartleson party, headed to California while others followed Fitzpatrick to Fort Hall. The Oregon-bound travelers hired a new guide to pilot them along the Snake River, over the Blue Mountains, and the Indians guided them down the Columbia River to Willamette Valley. This route became the Oregon Trail Corridor. By 1845, Americans outnumbered the British, and in 1846, Britain surrendered its territorial claim and withdrew to Canada. In 1850, Congress passed the Donation Land Act, offering 160 of acres of free Oregon land to white males or half-Indian settlers and another 160 acres to their wives. Travel and weddings boomed as settlers rushed to stake their claims before the law expired in 1854. At first, Indians helped immigrants, but things changed as they discovered that the free land offered by the whites was their ancestral territory. By the mid to late 1800s, settlers lay claim to most tribal land. For immigrants, the lure of the land and opportunity outweighed personal sacrifices and the risks of long-distance wagon travel. It meant back-breaking toil and the possibility of death from accident, violence, or disease. Even so, traffic on the trail kept growing. Just ten years after the walkers followed the old fur trace, a wall-beaten road sprawled across the prairie. Traffic was just not westbound. Discouraged pioneers turned around. Successful settlers returned to family to persuade them and friends to join them in Oregon, and supply wagons rumbled to and from military forts. This highway was not straight, smooth, or direct. It followed streams, wound around hills, and avoided deep sand. On steep slopes, travelers lugged wagons up with ropes and stuck poles and wheel spokes to break them on the way down. At dangerous river crossings, they floated wagons on makeshift ferries. Worst was the Dallies, a fearsome stretch of Columbia River rapids, where many pioneers floating on rafts perished close to their final destination. In 1846, the Barlow Toll Road provided a safer route, one of many cutoffs developed between jumping-off places in Missouri and the trail's end at Oregon City, Oregon. In the first decade of the Oregon Trail travel, relationships between Indians and immigrants were generally cooperative. Tribes provided fresh meat, guided travelers across rivers, and helped search for lost livestock. Most immigrants returned these favors with kindness, but tensions grew when the stream of wagons increased in 1849 in response to the California gold strikes. Livestock trampled native plants and immigrants slaughtered buffalo herds that the tribes needed for sustenance. Some Indians tried to collect payments for the passage across tribal lands, but most immigrants regarded these requests as arrogant demands for tribute. Relations deteriorated by the late 1850s. Indians killed travelers, and immigrants killed Indians. In the Oregon Territory, farming, mining, and lodging destroyed salmon runs and village sites. Indian resistance along the trail persisted into the 1880s. By then, the Indians had suffered military defeats, settlers had claimed most of their productive lands, and treaties were made and broken, and most tribes were forced onto reservations. In a few decades, the American landscape was changed forever. This remarkable story began drawing to a close in 1869 with the completion of the Transcontinental Railroad, People still used parts of the old wagon road for local trips 
and the better stretches of the trail became paved roads and highways. Over the years, other traces of the Oregon Trail were plowed under, built over, or faded away. In 1906, 76-year-old Ezra Meeker, who crossed the plains in Oregon in 1852, set out to cover the wagon to retrace the old trail from west to east. He meant to mark the route before he was gone, publicize the trail's history, and encourage protection of the wagon ruts that remained. Meeker met with two U.S. presidents, testified before Congress, and made several publicity trips along the route before his death in 1928. In 1978, Congress authorized Old Wagon Road as the Oregon National Historic Trail, recognizing its importance in American history. Today, the trail is administered by the National Park Service and managed by the Bureau of Land Management, U.S. Forest Service, other federal agencies, state and local governments, and private landowners. They work together to protect the trail's legacy, provide public access, and tell its unreal stories. If you like what you heard, just continue to listen to us. If you want to check out what we've been up to recently, check out our Facebook or Instagram page at Unnamed Adventures.